Last week, we talked about this ultimate comeback. If all you remember is Rocky Balboa, let me refresh your memory. Um, I did, you know, end up watching the seventh movie as a result. I got all excited about Rocky. I'm more excited about Jesus for sure. But um, I did watch the seventh movie and it was interesting. But last week, we talked about a very important comeback, the ultimate comeback, Christ's resurrection. And so often we can kind of like celebrate a day like that and then go on just kind of doing our own thing. And, and when we think about Christ's resurrection, when, just to refresh your memory from last week or if you're uh, visiting today or weren't with us last week, this was not just a comeback from like the floor of a boxing ring or the comeback from a a hospital bed or a comeback from maybe a crisis or a relational meltdown. Jesus came back from the grave. It was so fun this morning in worship. I ended up sitting with some of the kids and and, uh, one of the kids, you know, I was saying, hey, do you know who our Redeemer is? And this boy said, no, who who, who is that? And I said, well, that's Jesus. And then, so talked a little bit about that in worship. You can chat in worship if you want. Um, And so we ended up talking and then he turned to me and said, what, is it, what does that mean that he conquered the grave? So we had a little chat, right, in worship time, just talking about what that meant. Jesus did not just get up from a mat or get up from a hospital bed or get up out of, out of debt or something. Jesus came back from the grave. He was wrapped in grave clothes. He, his body was already anointed with oils and perfumes that they would do traditionally for the dead. Uh, he, was, he didn't move for three days. The, 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 you know, the, the tomb was sealed shut. And Jesus conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. And the key that we looked at last week as we celebrated Easter together and hopefully encouraged you and our guests um, was that we, it's not only that Jesus made a comeback, but that his comeback makes comebacks possible for us. That the scriptures remind us that the very same power through God's spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. We said last week, your story isn't finished yet if Jesus is in it. Your story isn't finished yet if Jesus is in it. And I just, just a, a little side note, please be praying for the guests we had last week, friends and neighbors or family members that joined us with, with such a great response. And I had such great conversations with a few people that were here for the first time, uh, not in a church for 20, 30 years. Uh, some don't, you know, just even not even searching spiritually, but came on an Easter Sunday. And just, we just, let's be praying for, for our friends, our guests, our neighbors in that way, that we would see a spiritual comeback in their lives. We talked about that last week and the sense of a spiritual comeback. And if you made a decision or a step forward last week, please help us, let, let us help you process that and um, move forward in what it means to know and discover and follow Jesus. Today, though, what we're going to do is, as we just shift into today's thought, we're going to, we're going to continue the series and we're going to focus on, on one person's particular uh, comeback experience or comeback story. And it's, it's a post-resurrection story. And I love that because we, I love the post-resurrection stories. I was thinking that maybe next year we should just take a month or so and just walk through some of the, the stories right post-resurrection in the Gospels. But what we're going to do is look at this person's story and it's going to give us some steps It's going to give us some ideas in what it means to make a comeback and what it means to make a comeback in our lives. So we're going to read this story, but just before we do, just some context, Um, just before we open the scriptures, Jesus has already risen from the grave at this point as we pick up this story. 
The women uh, have found him at the, have found the tomb empty. Pilate's men are looking for the body, scrambling to discover what has happened. The disciples have already seen him about two times by now. Two guys making their way home on a journey, meet Jesus on that journey, end up having a supper with him. Their hearts are burning because they realize who this is. It's the resurrected Lord. Doubting Thomas, one of the, one of the disciples, reaffirms his belief in Jesus as he sees and touches his his hands and his and, and literally the holes in his hands from the crucifixion, but now in a resurrected body. And then Jesus appears again to these disciples. And it's not near the tomb, it's not in a house, it's not on the side of the road, it's actually on a beach. Some of you, as the weather has gotten really cold today, would love to be on a beach. Um, Jesus meets them at a beach in Galilee. They're fishing, and we're going to pick up the story here. It's John chapter 21. Verse 3, John chapter 21, verse 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to also read from the screen. So let's, let's just read from this. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he told them, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. It's like deja vu for some of the disciples for the first time they met Jesus. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's such a great post-Easter, post-resurrection story. And today I just want to highlight one person in the story and kind of track with this person, and it's Peter. Peter gets mentioned a lot in this story, and it seems that that part of the story really surrounds him and his journey and what he's walking through. And, And just think about this. Jesus has risen. Jesus has made a comeback. But in some ways, Peter hasn't. In some ways, Peter still hasn't made a comeback. 
In John chapter 13, if we kind of backtrack to the Gospels, Peter declares with all his, you know, all his emotions, Jesus, you are the Lord. Jesus, I'm loyal to you. Jesus, I will suffer with you. And Jesus says to him, listen, Peter, be careful what you say, because in the next day, you're going to deny me three times. Three times you're going to have an opportunity to affirm your, um, uh, you know, your, your relationship with me, your knowledge of me, but you're going to deny me three times. And if we keep reading in John 18, it actually happens. Three opportunities that Peter has to affirm his knowledge, his relationship with Jesus, to affirm the fact that he is one of his followers, and three times Jesus denies Peter. Uh, Peter denies Jesus, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Peter struggles to admit he's a disciple. Peter fails. Peter falls. Peter draws back. Peter loses his way. Peter, in that moment, disappoints Jesus, disappoints his friends, disappoints himself, probably. But in John 21, here as we read it, the resurrection has already happened. And Peter is still getting his bearings around this. Peter, though, has not yet come back to normal. Now, don't be misguided by the fact that he's excited in the water, right? He sees Jesus. He, he lifts up his outer garment so he can run in the water. He's excited. He sees Jesus. I mean, the whole resurrection thing is so exciting. It's so wonderful. It's so powerful. And he is very excited. But think about this. Later in verse 19, Jesus actually invites Peter to follow him again. Jesus says, Peter, straightforward, will you follow me? That's interesting because way early did Jesus already ask him that question. And Peter already said, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. And Peter starts to follow him. Peter affirms his loyalty to him. And interestingly enough, Jesus asks him again or tells him again, Peter, follow me. In other words, something is not fully right with Peter yet. Even though the resurrection has happened. Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. And notice Three times Peter denied him. Three times Peter denies him. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? It's almost like this process is going on. And Jesus realizes Peter is not fully where he needs to be yet. And, we, and together, let's, Peter, I want to bring you back to something. I want to bring you forward. And Peter is down in the dumps of his failure. Let me ask you this question. What kind of comeback particularly are you longing for in your life in the moment? What kind of, what thing or part of your life do you feel is over here when you know it should be here? Or it's over here and you know it should be further ahead? Maybe a place where you've drawn back, where you've fallen back, where you've lost your way. And here in this moment, we recognize Peter is at a place where he needs a comeback. He needs something to change. Peter's need for a comeback is his purpose as a follower and disciple of Jesus. His his comeback in this particular thing is not necessarily a generic part of life, but it is specifically his relationship with Jesus, is specifically his identifying, him identifying Jesus, him following Jesus, him feeling like, yes, I'm his disciple. I'm still going to move on in this purpose. 
And so it's in this moment, I want to just pause and kind of walk through some steps that I think we learned from this story. How do, we, how do we find a comeback? How do we engage steps towards a comeback? Because it's great to kind of celebrate the resurrection and realize that Jesus came back. It's inspiring to say, hey, if Jesus is part of your story, your story's not over yet. Well, how do we actually make some steps towards a comeback? Because here's the thing. Peter does make a comeback. If, you, if you've read the scriptures before, and if you get into past the gospels and into the book of Acts, Peter makes a comeback. Peter, you know, becomes a leader in the church. Uh, God uses Peter to preach powerfully, even with a lack of knowledge to thousands of people. And so, so something happens in Peter's life that he does make a comeback. He moves from fear to courage, but there's a few steps that get him there. So I want to take us through four steps. And here's the first one. Peter acknowledges that he's down. He, he has to recognize that he is down or recognize where he is. And that's one of the first steps in making the comeback. We need to recognize and stop and say, where am I really? Before any comeback can happen, you must recognize where you are. If it's a relationship, you must stop and say, yeah, this relationship is broken. I need to recognize that. I need to acknowledge that. If it's, if it's unhealth in your body, you need to stop and say, yes, I need to recognize I am living in an unhealthy way. If your bank account is in the red, you got to say, i got to be honest here. My bank account is in the red. I, I'm down. And that requires honesty. It requires transparency. It requires an honest look of where you are. Because I don't know about you, but I know myself, I'm prone to avoid that. I'm prone to ignore that. I'm pr- prone to be like, ignorance is bliss. You know what? Everything's going to work out. It's going to be fine. Or I'm going to get better. Or I'll get healthier. Or I'm sure this relationship, you know, this will kind of happen on its own. Or yeah, my spiritual walk. I'm sure, you know what? God's going to kind of, I'm sure he's going to just show me something. Something's going to happen. And everything's going to be okay. And we're prone to avoid the honesty. A few years back, you know, my wife and I were chatting about our finances, and we do that, you know, periodically through the year and, and uh, stuff like that. And, and I think, in general, we have a good approach to our finances. And she was chatting with me, and, like, and so she just said, you know, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, look, things are pretty good. We're, you know, we're giving proportionately to our income. We're, we're saving. We're paying off our car. And so Frank, I said, well, what about, the, what about the line of credit we have? I'm like, yeah, the line of credit's pretty good. It's doing okay. It's, it's there. And, and um, I'm like, yeah, I have it under control. You know, sometimes we go a little bit under, and then I paid back, and we, you know, like it, it, it ebbs and flows and things like that. And see, my philosophy a little bit in this, and I've shared openly, like, how I view finances, but one of the things I do sometimes is I figure if my giving is taken care of, if my savings is taken care of, if my priorities are taken care of, and I go in the red a little bit sometimes, at least I've done the important stuff. But that's not always the, you know, sometimes you can mess up a little bit. So Franca said, isn't that debt? I'm like, well, that's not, not really, Franca. Come on, it's not, it's not really debt. And, you know, when you figure everything's working out and we're giving, we're saving, we're living, and it's just little things here and there. She's like, well, is it debt or is it not debt? Is it yes, debt, no debt? And I'm like, okay, I guess it's debt, you know, like, right? So it was just like, yes, we are officially in debt, you know, it's not just a house or a car. It's like there's this point of honesty, right, to say, yeah, if I really compare my bank account, even if it has 500 bucks in it, but if my line of credit is under 3000 I'm in debt, right, 2500 bucks. So it's this sense of, of honesty. See, b- being honest about where you are is the first step to a comeback. 
Whether it's in relationships or finances or your spiritual walk, the first step in a comeback is being honest about where you are. And sometimes honesty means, and this is a little tough to swallow, sometimes it means grieving something, feeling the loss of something, feeling the full reality of what that actually means, of the brokenness in the relationship or of the, the, you know, the steps that led us to debt or of the place where I am spiritually in my walk with Christ. This is a tough question, but do you grieve about where you are sometimes? Do you grieve about a place that you feel lost in or a place that you feel behind in? You know, interesting, when we read the story of Peter's denial in Luke's telling of it, after Peter denies Jesus three times and he remembers the words of Jesus Peter, the rooster's going to crow when you deny me three times. Rooster crows. Peter remembers those words. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 62, it says, it says these words. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He, he didn't just say like, oh, this will take care of itself. He, he recognized something happened. I'm in a place where I shouldn't be. I'm at a part of my journey where I've taken a dip. I'm not where I could be, where I should be, where I can be. And Peter weeps bitterly in that moment. And I think there's something so vital for us to learn in that, that unless we are honest and even at times grieve about where we are, we will stay exactly where we are. You know what I'm saying? We will stay exactly where we are if we don't pause and actually say, this is a, this is a loss, This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not where I'm meant to be. Unless we grieve about it, often we'll stay there. And this isn't about guilt or shame or feeling over an unneeded sense of guilt or or putting um, extra pressure. I mean, yes, the scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But grieving is knowing where you are or where you are not. Grieving is knowing where you are not, what you lack, what you miss. Grieving is knowing you're not where you want to be. It's recognizing and actually feeling the burden of the debt or the burden of the disunity in that relation, relationship. Or maybe how you insulate yourself and, have a, and, and don't build community and actually say, hey, wait a second, what am I, what's happening here? Or maybe how how you're not serving the body of Christ or God's mission. Or how you're not giving generously to to the Lord's mission. Or or where you are in your relationship with Christ. Peter was aware that he fell and how he fell. And he felt that pain. So he acknowledged and he was honest about it. But here's this next step. And I think it's, it's really an important next step. It's listening for God's voice in all of that. Listening for God's voice and all of that. See, there was this excitement in Peter when he saw Jesus at the shore, right? There was an excitement when he saw Jesus at the shore. But then Peter and Jesus go for a walk. Verse 20 tells us that as they're having this conversation, Peter looks back and sees the, the, the disciple Jesus loves, or the, the disciple that loves Jesus, talking about John there, one who was really close to Jesus. As they're walking, Peter looks back. So we get the sense that all this stuff happens on the shore. They're having breakfast. There's excitement, all this stuff. But then Peter and Jesus go for a walk. It's like Jesus says, Peter, uh, this is all great. Now me and you, we're going to go for a one-on-one. And they take this walk together and they have this conversation. 
It's private, it's intimate, it's, it's without distractions. And three times Jesus tells Peter the same thing. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus. And here's the question I had. Was, was Peter really listening? I mean, he heard the words, but was he really listening? He heard Jesus' words, but was he missing, I think, the invitation? Because Jesus says, do you love me? And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And in the middle of those words, there's an invitation that's being extended to Peter. And I think Peter's hearing the words, but not listening to the invitation. A comeback is possible and was possible. Jesus was going to reinstate Peter into the, into, you know, the direction he was moving in, into the mission work that, 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 that Jesus was going to use him in. But Peter had to listen to the invitation. Not just the words, but listen to the invitation. And he was missing it because I think he was only hearing the question, do you love me? And when, G- when Peter heard, do you love me, he was probably thinking back, I betrayed you. And Jesus, do you love me? I, man, I failed you, Jesus. But Jesus didn't only ask, did you love me? He said, feed my sheep. The third time, Peter gets offended. What do you mean, Jesus, I, do I love you? I'm hurt by that. And, and insecurity comes in and fear comes in and all this kind of stuff comes in. And it's like Peter gets offended with Jesus. How could you say this? And, but then Jesus says, listen, feed my sheep. And that's where the invitation comes in. So how can we listen better when God wants to speak to us? When we read the scriptures or even here today, you know, it happens to be me teaching, but as we gather together and and the scripture shared, and are we listening for God's voice? We can hear the words. We can read it off the the page. We can spend time every morning in in the scriptures, but are we listening for God's conviction? Are we listening for God's challenge? Are we listening for God's encouragement? And like Peter, are we listening for God's invitation to us through his words? I'd encourage you to try this as, as you read scripture. Even as you come here on a Sunday morning, do you prepare yourself, your mind, your heart? You just say, do you pause for a moment and say, how is my morning from when I wake up to when I get to our gathering? How am I just preparing myself to hear from God? It's not about me or us or anything we specifically do. It's that we gather in Christ's name and we believe that God's going to speak. When, when you open the scriptures on your own at home and, or wherever you are, whether it's you know, at your home with your Bible or if you're you know, stopping somewhere and it's in the middle of the day and you're reading the scriptures on your phone, do you pause and say, Lord, I want you to speak. I long for you to speak. Something that's helped me and, and um, even some others in our, in our church community is this, this um, practice of just pausing for two minutes just to be silent before the Lord. Be silent before you read the scriptures. Be silent before you even pray. And just tell God in, in that silence, I'm ready to hear from you. And then ask Jesus to speak. And then read. And then pause. As even if it's a word or a phrase, pause and say, when God grabs your attention and meditate on that, think about that, reflect on that, get to the heart of what God's trying to tell you. I think there's a way that we can grow in our listening. And here's, if we want to make a comeback, we need to listen for God's voice. Here's this next step, and it's, it's the sense of welcoming forgiveness. That, G, that Peter heard Jesus' invitation eventually, but would he welcome God's forgiveness? Would he welcome God's or Christ's invitation? 
Before I share this next step, I want you to watch this video because it connects these two ideas, listening for God's voice and welcoming his forgiveness in this process of a comeback. And you're going to recognize the guys because we used them last week in a video. We just keep using these skit guys. We like them and like buying their videos and paying them money. But uh, take a look. Three times Jesus attempts to crack Peter's shell, to crack Peter's facade, to bring him in, to help him welcome forgiveness. This step in making a comeback is is welcoming the forgiveness of Jesus. And you know, um, historically, theologically, we could say Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection assures our forgiveness. And, And Peter knew that. This was talked about. Jesus came to forgive sins. Jesus' commissioning would, would be to commission the disciples to go preach the forgiveness and grace of the kingdom. Peter knew that. He knew that in terms of knowledge. But too often, we don't come back because we can't receive what the resurrection actually accomplished. It's the forgiveness of sins. Jesus commissions the disciples in Luke, and that Luke's version says to go out because Jesus, the Son of God, suffered and rose from the dead, and forgiveness of sin will be offered. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians, he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. But obviously Paul is saying that rhetorically. Jesus did rise from the dead, so you're not still in your sins. You can receive forgiveness. Then I think this, this beautiful moment happens, John 21, verse 13, as, as the disciples come onto the beach, we read, um, Jesus invites them to breakfast, and we read just these simple words, they sound so ordinary. Jesus took the bread, gave the bread, and they ate. And many scholars and people who've you know, tied all these things up would, would say that there's this deep connection between Jesus' words of bread and giving in that moment to the Last Supper, where Jesus broke bread, gave thanks, and they ate together. In a sense, in that moment, in that meal on the beach, the the disciples were invited back to the table. Invited to the table. Say, come, eat of this bread, the broken body for you. Drink the blood poured out for you, this new covenant. And there was a sense at the table, even at a picnic on the beach, this welcome, this welcome back. This welcome back to receive forgiveness. That's part of the steps of making a comeback. And then this last step, and I'm going to invite uh, the team to come up to slowly get ready in the next minute or so, is this. Peter's comeback was not just about forgiveness. It wasn't just about forgiveness. It was actually about purpose. Jesus doesn't just free us and say, I just want to free you just to make you feel good. Jesus frees us because it's the promise and the purpose of the cross and the resurrection, but Jesus frees us for a purpose. If you catch this story, Jesus gives Peter a job. He doesn't just say, do you love me? And then Peter says, yeah, I love you. And it's like, great, high five. That's awesome. We're buddies again, Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus asks him, yes, three times, do you love me? And there's the affirmation of of relationship there. But then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus gives Peter a job. Jesus gives Peter purpose and says, your comeback is not just to make you feel good. Your comeback is not only so you can experience the love that we have for one another, but your comeback is so others will benefit. That you have a purpose in this world. So making a comeback isn't only about you or me. 
It's not just about feeling cozy and comfortable and good. It's not just about that. Making a comeback, sure, sometimes there's this sense where it's like, oh, this is so good. Like, this relationship is mended. I feel great. Or this debt, has, we've, we've conquered this debt. This is great. Or I've, I've come back to the Lord or to the church and I feel good. But it's more than that, right? It's more than that. We see this challenge. We see this purpose. So when, when, when someone makes a comeback, financially in their lives, then they stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this new life where my finances can be used not just for my purposes but for your glory? Or when there's a relational comeback and yes, the relationship is mended and it's, it's so wonderful. Instead of just pausing and saying, that's so good, I feel so good, I'm so grateful, I need this relationship. Then you pause and say, how can I bless this person? How can I love this person? How can I care for this person? How can our relationship bless others around us? And in a spiritual comeback, it's the same similar way as, as, as you make a comeback spiritually. It's not just like, oh, this is great. I got heaven. I know Jesus loves me. He's forgiven me. It's also, Lord, what are you calling me to do? How do you want to use me? And so we don't find love because we come back. Or because we do stuff. But as we discover that comeback, then God says, I want to use you in this next phase. So it's not a pat on the back. It's not like, hey, this is so awesome. It's, I'm inviting you to partnership. I'm inviting you to partnership. So if you're hoping for a comeback that just stops at comfortable, don't do that. Don't hope for a comeback that stops at comfortable. Hope and pray and lean into a comeback that, that where God will use you, give you a purpose. Jesus says he's come to give us life and life to the fullest. And that's not only about feeling good. Because a life full of only pleasure is actually lacks meaning. It includes service of some kind. You know, when Jesus put the two greatest commandments together, and he said, what does everything hinge on? He says, it hinges on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor. I mean, if he would have just stopped there... It would have been great. Good. I'll love God. What does that mean tomorrow? Jesus says, love your neighbor. So to Peter, he said, feed my sheep. Extend my forgiveness. Extend what you've received and give it to others. I'm going to use you, Peter. I'm going to bless you, Peter. I'm going to help you and walk with you and lead you and guide you. And I'm going to help you extend what you've experienced with me and help others experience it. I'm going to do that, Peter. Too often we make a comeback for comfort and not purpose. And too often we live like the resurrection didn't happen. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And I want to just end with this story. There was a lady, her name was Martha Kahn. Maybe you know of her. She wrote a book called Behind Enemy Lines. And she was a French-Jewish woman. She lived on the French-German border when the Nazis took over in World War II. And... um, she wrote this book, Behind Enemy Lines, to describe all the horrific things she went through. Family members dying, losing a fiancé, having a father being taken away from her. Seeing all the horrific things that she could have seen and experienced behind enemy lines. But then, June 1944 takes place. D-Day takes place. Normandy takes place. The war, the Germans are stopped. The war is over. The war is over. The Germans surrender. France is rejoicing. Italy is liberated. But she writes in her journal and her stories that 
as she would visit certain towns in Europe, not every town found out. Not every town heard that the war was over. There was still snipers on rooftops that never got the message that the war was over that was pointing at people and picking people off from the, from the rooftops as snipers because no one told them the war is over. It's finished. And she would walk into towns and see soldiers and other people that still were living as if the war didn't end. And for a while, Martha, would, she would dress up and, and like a German nurse and head into some of these towns. And she realized it took almost a full year from June 1944 to May 1945 to f- have the full completion like, okay, the, world, the war is really over. It t- took almost a whole year for everybody to, f- to live out the effects of that victory. And it's this idea that in between when the victory happened to when you finally figure it out and what it means, it's a totally different story. And for some in that era, the victory actually happened, but they weren't living it. They weren't living it. They didn't didn't even recognize that it did happen. And I think for Peter, Peter, he knew Jesus rose from the grave. Peter knew what happened. He knew Jesus' promise to forgive sins and restore through the resurrection. But Peter wasn't living it yet. The victory took place, but he still wasn't living it out. He didn't take it in for himself. He didn't receive it for himself. He didn't move and live into it. He actually stayed down for a while. He needed to live into it. And so today, I want to just remember this. Jesus came to him on that beach. He took him for a walk. He made sure that he heard his voice, his invitation to come back, to receive forgiveness, to come back to purpose, to acknowledge where he was at to listen for God's voice, to receive God's forgiveness, and to step into his purpose. The resurrection happened. Please don't live like it didn't happen. It happened. Don't live like it didn't happen. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we are just, we say thank you. Thank you that you welcome us to your table. Thank you that that you walk with us along uh, journeys even when we need a comeback. Lord, you, you revealed yourself to the disciples many times after the resurrection. You took time and had supper with him on the beach. You took time to take Peter aside and take a walk with him. You took time to, to let that conversation uh, just you know, slowly slowly grow and, and mature and, and, and continuing that the, the question the, of, of his love for you and the invitation back into purpose. God, we thank you. Thank you that, that you take your time with us, that, that, that we, wherever we are, uh, Lord, wherever we feel like we need to get out of, whatever we feel we need to get out of, whatever comeback we feel is necessary, we just say thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that your heart is for us to hear your invitation, to welcome your forgiveness, but also to recognize where we are in this moment and and be honest. Then know that there's hope, that you call us out, that you call us into purpose. And so, God, if, if, if there's comebacks to be made in relationships, God, may those relationships honor you and may those relationships point to you and may people be blessed by those relationships. Lord, if people come out of a financial debt and, and make a comeback in that way, Lord, may, may the, the peace that comes from, from financial peace, may, may the, the, the resources that flow in a healthy way, God, bring you glory. 
May they bless others in our lives and may they fuel your mission. Father, if there's a a comeback today, Lord, in a spiritual sense, Lord, if some of us have been in a spot where we know we can move out of, we know we need to move out of, and we hear your invitation, God, as we step forward in it, Lord, we're so grateful for your mercy, but may it not stop at comfortable, may it not stop at cozy, may it not stop at warm, fuzzy feelings, may it not even stop at just just being grateful for the promise of eternity in heaven. Lord, call us into purpose. May we live into purpose post-resurrection life, knowing that the, the resurrection happened, may we live like it did. Guide us, lead us by the power of your spirit and your grace. And may we be a church that resonates this and extends this message to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.